to C3 Church Hepburn Heights. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoy this message today. Hello, church. What a beautiful bunch you all are. You're not really just a bunch, are you? You're a big, beautiful bouquet, aren't you? I love you guys. It's, it's beautiful whenever we get to be here and see you all. Um, yeah, if we haven't met before, my name's Michaela. You can call me Mickey. I don't mind. Um, my husband and I launched out in C3 North Perth about almost four years ago, three and a half, I guess. Um, and for the past four years, in stepping into church planting, which seemed like a very, very exciting new adventure for us, became quite daunting and different <laughs> quite quickly. Um, but it has been this wild journey of God shifting my perspective of others uh, and who I share the gospel with. Um, for a long time, Joel and I were youth pastors here and that was the context of us sharing the gospel in many ways. Um, and so to move to the city, uh, into the city of Perth and to plant a church has been very different to what we expected Um, But most of all, I've been on this discovery of learning uh, what I now call the lost art of hospitality. Uh, And that's something that I just want to share with you uh, today. Is that okay? Yes, Yes, lovely. We're going to start in um, one of my favourite parables, which is the story of the Good Samaritan found in Luke 10, 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, and how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and he took, sorry, he saw him. And he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which is a day's wage, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. We see in this story, the religious leader questioning Jesus, asking this question, who is my neighbour? And after Jesus, sorry, after Jesus explains the story to him, the religious leader already knows the answer to his own question. But Jesus still says, go and do likewise. For so long, and I think for so many of us as Christians, we can answer correctly or we can have the right answer. We can know what we're supposed to do. But Jesus is clearly saying here, do this and you will truly live. 
that it's in our doing that we experience what true living really is. And this, I think, is a part of the gospel that so many of us miss. Or maybe for a long time in our journey with Christ, we don't get it. This, this leader, this religious leader, didn't get it. And the people he was leading probably, therefore, didn't get it. But Jesus came to show us what doing really looked like. So how do we actually respond when we pass by people in our lives? Those we see and those we don't see. Those we have built up opinions about, possibly. So very often, like this religious leader questioning Jesus, we can view ourselves as experts of knowing all that we're supposed to do. Building up more knowledge of what we're supposed to do. Tell me more of how I'm supposed to be like Christ. Let me think about it for a bit longer. Let me study it for a bit longer. Let me read about it for a bit longer. Let me hear another sermon about it for a bit longer. But it's when we do this that we experience true living. For a while when reading this story, I've put myself in two different positions. The first position is I've put myself in the man's, sorry, in the the priest or the Levite's position. Instead of practicing what Jesus commands, I've justified myself before God, said to God, I don't have time. I don't have energy. I have got too much on my plate right now. It's a bit uncomfortable. I'm a bit blind to what others are going on in their lives because I'm so focused on my own agenda. Or possibly, and I think the hardest one, is I've been too worried about people that look different or sound different to me and how they might harm me or treat me. Or, unfortunately, chose to interpret God's teachings in a way that fits my worldview. Or the second position I've taken, which is mostly out of a place of guilt, trying to be a better person, is to bring myself as to be the Samaritan. How can I be good? How can I do this a bit better? How can I love others more? How can I be like Jesus? But recently, and definitely in the last four years, God has brought me to a place of shifting my perspective, not to the priest or the Levite, not to the good Samaritan, but to the man on the road, to put myself in the man's shoes, the man who has been robbed, abandoned, left for dead, ignored, the outsider, the stranger, the one in need, the one who's misunderstood. I think when we truly learn to have compassion, the compassion necessary to love and welcome others, When we first put ourselves in their shoes is when that occurs, when we get acquainted with them. So often we lose sight of the fact that we were first sinners. It's a miracle that he saw us, that he stopped to take notice of us, forgave us, redeemed us, renewed our minds, restored our vision and gave us a future and a hope. And I think when we lose sight of this grace and this mercy that Christ has extended to us, we get stuck in the position of the religious leader. We get stuck in a place of judgment towards others. We get stuck being too preoccupied with our own lives or concerned for our own welfare, rather than being filled with compassion and mercy. Church, I believe Jesus is inviting us, his church, to this often neglected approach to hospitality. The type of hospitality that opens the gospel up to people that are not like us. The people that Jesus was so often controversially known for hanging out with. 
So when you think of the word hospitality, what do you think about instantly? Just have a little think. What is it? Hospitality. Maybe it's a great restaurant that you've been to. <laughs> Maybe it's a delicious meal on the table. Maybe it's really friendly people like Danielle Stubbs who just know how to cook really well and have lots of people over all the time. <laughs> I've been guilty of viewing hospitality like this. I think it's what our culture has morphed the word to become. But what if you're not outgoing? What if you're not the life of the party? What if you just like having a nice good book and a glass of red to yourself? (laughs) What if you don't know how to cook a good roast? I think so often when we look at the gospel accounts of who Jesus was, we look at people getting healed, welcomed into the kingdom of God, and where radical revelation of who Jesus Christ is, there's often an act of hospitality before or directly after it. I think of Zacchaeus up in a tree, trying to get a look at what Jesus is talking about to the whole crowd. After Jesus notices Zacchaeus, this person who's frowned upon by everybody around him, he looks at him, he takes notice of him, he calls him down out of his place, he welcomes him in. And by that very welcome that Jesus extends in front of the crowds, Zacchaeus wants to throw a dinner party directly afterwards. I think of this small boy who chose to give up his lunch to Jesus instead of the disciples thinking they would send the crowds away to go and fend for themselves. Jesus uses this small boy's lunch to feed thousands of people. I think of Jesus frequently dining with sinners and tax collectors. And his very last meal before going to the cross, he chose to use a humble piece of bread and a glass of wine to demonstrate the most beautiful thing that he was about to do for all of humanity. So often when we think about beyond, about mission, about sharing the gospel with others, we can think about preaching to them, teaching them, telling them of our experiences or giving to a program where others can do that for us. But when I think about Jesus' life, so often he was drawn to be with people, to dwell amongst them, listen to their struggles, and he chose to reveal truth to them in the most ordinary moments of eating with them. So what does hospitality look like then? What does it actually mean to be hospitable? The English word hospitality in Greek is philoxenia. It's a compound word of two separate words. One of them, philo, meaning love in a friendship context, and xenia meaning literally a a foreigner, an immigrant, or a stranger. So hospitality, therefore, is not a good roast. (laughs) It's not a great restaurant. It's not a really friendly person. It's somebody who gets down with strangers and becomes their friend, who converts a foreigner into a friend who removes that wall of hostility between us. Our culture can be so happy to show hospitality when we have a decent bank balance, when we have good status, when we look like them and we sound like them and we believe things that are the same. But Jesus calls us to show love and hospitality, welcome and friendship to people not just looking like us, not just sounding like us, not just agreeing with us, but people who don't deserve it people who are marginalised, people who believe completely opposing views to us. We are called to carry a different spirit to the culture around us, but we are called to carry a spirit of inclusion, of noticing others and welcoming them in. 
Joshua W. Jip, which is a New Testament scholar and author of one of my favourite books, Saved by Faith and Hospitality, says, God's hospitality is no respecter of ethnicity or culture. Religious tradition, socioeconomical status, gender or sexual orientation. Jesus' followers remembered him for identifying himself amongst sinners, sharing table with them and appealing to them as heroes in some of his teachings. They recalled how people confronted Jesus with their social impurities and how Jesus crossed the boundaries that divided the pure from the impure. In his mission to extend God's hospitality to others, Jesus showed no sense of fear of the stranger, worry about a sinner's polluting presence or desire to conform to societal norms. And yet all all too frequently, the often implicit attempts of the church to conform itself to the patterns seen in Jesus' ministry are stunted or overwhelmed by its uncritical acceptance of certain societal stereotypes of individuals labelled as dangerous, risky, worthless or pollutants. So what does hospitality look like? What does a life of hospitality look like? I have a lot to say about this, but I don't have any more time. But one question I want to ask you to think about is who have you eaten with in the last week or two? Who we eat with, who we sit at a table with, shows a lot about how we are intimate and build friendship with people. It's a time of sharing our lives with others. It's a space we can't really hide. Who have you eaten with in the last week or two? Who comes to mind? Often our meals are shared with companions like friends and family, co-workers, little toddlers running around. It's highly unlikely that our table companions will include people from different socio-economical brackets, different religions, political views, sexual orientations, someone struggling with addiction or chronic homelessness, somebody with a physical disability or a mental illness. I'm not trying to make us feel guilty here. My meals generally revolve around my friends and my family too. But I think this is a great way to stop and reflect on who we're sharing our lives with. Who are we welcoming into our very lives? Not just our churches, but our lives. For me, this has looked like packing snacks and thermoses of tea and sitting in picnics with kindy mums, people that I don't know, going down to the park and meeting people whilst my kids play and asking them about their lives, not just being on my phone all the time. It's looked like me taking the time in Perth to meet people on the street who are living in really dire situations, to not just give them a handout, but to ask them their name, to recognise them when I see them next time, to get to know them. It's looked like pursuing friendships with people who don't believe the same things as me, don't look like me, don't sound like me. It's looked like volunteering in roles that put me out of my comfort zone, and teach me something that I didn't know before. But mostly it's looked like me asking about other people's lives and stories over meals. Church, there truly is so much depth and wisdom in the life of living hospitably towards others. We see people's humanity, we get to share in their lives, and hopefully we get to share Jesus with them. But it's when we act out of that place, not just believe it 
that Jesus wants us to experience life and life to the full. So bless you, church, as you step out in your days. Am I on? Thank you, Mickey. That was beautifully, beautifully spoken. Amazing. I love that challenge. It was really good. Good morning. It's a privilege to be here today speaking about beyond. I love beyond because I love people. I naturally love people, but that's not what I'm talking about today. Because doing what comes natural is easy, right? But it's what doesn't come natural that sometimes we need to work on. So I'm just going to share with you something that God's actually really been challenging me on. Um, And it might challenge you a bit too, but sometimes it's good to be challenged, right? We all need to grow a little bit. Um, And this is definitely something I've had to grow a lot in. Um, So I wouldn't call myself an evangelist. I love God. I love church. And I do share love naturally, but not necessarily always talking about God's love, right? And so life's really busy and life has got fuller in recent years, insert baby number five. And so sometimes I feel like when I've had my kids, I actually have stepped out of the call of God because I'm busy and God's called me to do this over here, but I need a few years off to have the kids and do whatever. And you guys might feel like that too, where you feel like you're, on, you're serving God, but then something in life happens. Something in life always happens, right? There's never a time really when something isn't happening. You might get a new job or you might lose a job or you might have less finances than usual or you have a baby or you retire or someone gets sick and you have to spend more time in hospital or caring for someone. And I used to think that was outside of me fulfilling God's call. But what I've actually really been challenged on is that is my call. That is our call to serve God and show his love to others during those times. And I also believe that often during those times, our testimony is the most powerful when it's really hard. When we're actually going through the tough real life things is often when we can shine God's love the most and have a voice because people are noticing how are you doing that when you're going through this and it's because of God. One thing I say to myself most days is I can because God says I can because otherwise I probably couldn't. So I just would love that to be one thing you guys get from this, that you also could say to yourself, you can, because God says you can. If you're called to it, you can do it. God wants us to love him and love others. We don't actually need to overcomplicate it, okay? And there's not necessarily more burden that I'm trying to put on you today, but if anything, a beautiful ease and clarity. As we seek God and ask him, who does he want us to see? What? Uh, seeing through God's eyes, praying for that and asking him every day, God, who do you want me to see today? Because it can be overwhelming when we feel like we have got to reach everybody and speak to everybody and we might be the only Christian that everybody sees. But we need to just seek God and ask him, which person do you want me to reach today? We need to be interruptible to see his kingdom come in our very small, humble worlds. But I don't believe that we've been put in our worlds by a mistake or by chance. I believe God has positioned us to see people that he wants us to see. So I want us to just re-look at our worlds, 
not necessarily your church world, as much as I love this place, but our worlds outside of church. We can't only be on when we're on when we're here on a Sunday. We can't only serve here, but we need to be serving in the schools, in the community, in the sporting clubs. We need to be able to serve and love others as God's called us to. So, yep, 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 yep. (laughs) So I definitely, yeah, thought for a lot of years I was definitely going outside of God's call. But God actually says that we are his ambassadors. There's not a backup plan of how his news is going to get shared. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.20 that we need to open doors of reconciliation to God. We are ambassadors of the anointed one to carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. Think about how many words you say every day. How many words come out of your lips? That's super convicting for me, how many words I say. <laughs> that No, that aren't glorifying God. <laughs> but we need to be thinking about that. The words that we say, they carry such weight. And we need to be glorifying God in all our conversations. It says in 1 John 3.16, a scripture a lot of us know, that this is how we discovered love's reality. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. Because of his great love, we should be willing to lay down our lives for one another. If anyone sees a fellow believer in need and has the means to help him, yet shows no pity and closes his heart against him, how is it even possible that God's love lives in him? Beloved children, our love can't be an abstract theory that we only talk about, but a way of life demonstrated through our loving deeds. We know that the truth lives within us because we demonstrate love in action, which will reassure our hearts in his presence. Jesus loves us first. He initiated it. We merely have to receive that love and give it to others. We need to have our testimony ready. We need to be inviting people. I was, invi- I was from a non-Christian family and a school friend invited me to this church when I was 14 and I came. She was interrupted by the Holy Spirit to bring me. But then it went one step further. Her parents then started cooking me meals. They were happy to drive me home after church. All these things would have been inconvenient for them, especially the parents. But what a challenge as parents to be trying to reach our kids' friends to go that extra mile and cook an extra meal for the school friend. I may not be here today loving Jesus and knowing him intimately if that family hadn't have been interrupted by the Holy Spirit to go out of their comfort zone and go the extra mile for me. And I want to do that for others. But we really need to not get caught up with our personal hang-ups worrying about finances, worrying about time. Life is super busy. I could easily go through life saying, I literally don't have enough time or money to help anybody else. My days are so full. There's so many people needing so much from me. And I could just be like, this is my call, my kids. And I do believe our children are our call. But I also think God wants to open our eyes to see the other person. The mum at the school gate, not the one that looks like you that you feel most attracted to, as Mickey was saying, but the one that maybe does look a bit different. 
the one that seems a little bit uncomfortable, I sometimes feel when I'm asking Holy Spirit to lead me that it's them ones that I'm led to. And that's because it's not my natural lean, but it's Holy Spirit guiding me. We need to see others with God's eyes. He laid down his life for us. We need to lay down a bit of our lives for him. And to see others transformed. And if we don't tell them, they may not hear. And on a side note, you don't have to love the way I love or the way the person next to you loves. We're all gifted. God has uniquely gifted every single person here with their own gift gifts. And if you don't know what your gifts are, you can go on to the purpose circles on the website and under Growers Influences, there's a gift survey. You can do it easy for yourself and find out what God has uniquely gifted you with and love out of that. You, We're never going to measure up to the person next to us because we're different. We're made different. We're meant to be different. As Mickey said, some people want to have everybody over. Some people want to sit quietly with one person but that's great we need everybody to make this work there's no right or wrong we're all uniquely gifted to do what God wants us to do we just need to be led by the Holy Spirit Bob Goff says in his book everybody always it's a beautiful book it says Jesus doesn't actually need our help with the hungry or the thirsty or the sick or the strange or the naked or the people in jails He wants our hearts. He lets us participate if we are willing so that we'll learn more about how he feels about us and how he feels about the people that we may have been avoiding. And this book, Invitation to a Journey, many of you have already brought it. It says in it, if you want a good litmus test, which is a a test of a single factor of your attitude, of your spiritual growth... Simply examine the nature and quality of your relationships with others. Are you more loving, more compassionate, more patient, more understanding, more caring, more giving, more forgiving than you were a year ago? If you cannot answer these kinds of questions in the affirmative about you, then you really need to carefully examine the nature of your spiritual growth. But don't be discouraged by this. We're all on a journey. I am on an epic journey. Many of you have been doing this for years and years and years. I need to learn from all of you. We all need to learn from each other. But I really believe that God is challenging every one of us to see again. It's an encouragement to go deeper into God, to know him better, know his love more so that we can love others more. And lastly, I want to leave you with this quote. If spiritual formation is indeed being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others, the ultimate test of our spirituality lies in the nature of our lives in the world of others. I really want us now to just think about it and examine ourselves and what others would say we are in their world. Are we sharing our testimony? Are we glorifying God? Are we saying how good God is or how we're just about surviving thanks to God? Whatever it is for you, we need to have his words on our lips and be sharing it. So I'm just going to get everyone to stand up and we're just going to have some time reflecting and thinking about what God is doing in our worlds. 
just close your eyes as I read this prayer which David wrote in Psalm 139. As we feel safe with God and brave enough to do this, we need to ask God, as David did, to search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Just open your heart to God now and let's take a few minutes to reflect on the last 24 hours, asking God to search you and know you and help you know you. Review each aspect of your day, each interpersonal interaction, each inner thought pattern and outer response as though someone had filmed the whole thing. As you do, ask God to show you where you fell short of Christ-likeness, where you fell short of God's created purpose for you to be a compassionate person, whose relationships are characterised by love and forgiveness, person whose lives are healing, liberating, transforming touch of God's grace upon their world. As God brings such moments to mind, stop and notice what happened and what might have contributed to this lapse. Let's confess together if it is a place of unlikeness to Christ and receive God's forgiveness now. God's beautiful forgiveness every time. as we've opened ourselves up to the process of spiritual transformation, say yes to God. Give him permission to do the work that God wants to do right there. God is there. His grace is sufficient. Offering forgiveness and cleansing. God wants to liberate us and heal us. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any way, offensive way in us and lead us along the path everlasting. God, I pray that we will see the other be interruptible for you to spread your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us here on our podcast. 
encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more about our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, go to c3hh.com.au.